0: So, I've always wanted to say this actually, but um, well, it could turn into a comedy farce, <laughs> it's wise uh, I had a dream. Um, I, don't, I don't often remember my dreams. Um, and it's fair to say as well, I'm sure Karen will break this up, I'm not a massively emotional person either. Uh, I mean, we all have emotions, but I, I'm not massively emotional. I don't you know, cry at films, unless it's like a helicopter gets blown up or something. It's really upsetting. Well, I, don't, I, don't get, I don't get emotional chick flicks, I, you know, I don't, I don't cry at stuff or fluffy animals or, or roadkill or anything. I don't, I'm not moved by that sort of thing, um, and I don't often remember my dreams. I wake up and I know that I've had a dream, you know that feeling? I know that I had a dream, but I can't remember the dream. Well, about three days ago, I had a dream which was vivid. And and it took place in this hall. And I remember I was late for church. Now, I'm not usually late for anything. We've all got, we're all on the OCD spectrum somewhere. One of my things is lateness. I'm fastidious about being early. It's just a a character thing. I just, I have to be on time. If I'm running late, even if it's five minutes, that's one of the only things that can cause me to have a mild panic. And I was running late. And I was a bit angry at myself. And I walked into the church. And I don't know. Have you noticed, by the way, that now we're in a new hall. When you have to walk back in, you have the walk of shame in front of everyone. You know, if you're late, you have the walk of shame. Anyway, the walk of shame. It was the walk of shame. You were quite angry to us, were not you? Anyway, so I walked into the church. Now, I don't know how long the church had been meeting for at this point. That wasn't in a dream. But the hall was rammed. And, and it was overspilling, and and the worship was. I mean, I walked into the hall. I'm not told this. I'm not. Told, I've kept this for today. I walked into the hall, and and I started to cry. Now I don't get emotional about anything. You know, the only times I really cry are when i been preaching the gospel. To be honest with you, uh, and I know I get I can get quite emotional about that, but I. But I walked in, and it was so such a powerful sense of the presence of God, I was crying. And I had this feeling that I had the day I met Jesus, with my heart, started to feel like it was bursting. I had this lump in my throat, which felt good. You know that lump in your throat where you want to cry? I, I, those of you that cry at films probably know what I'm talking about, but when you, you want to cry and you think it's really tragic, but it's also making me happy at the same time. It was, it was, there was no tragic bit, but I felt happy. And I wanted to cry. And I, I woke up and my my cheeks were covered in tears. I thought I've actually been crying. <laughs> so I put myself into therapy I mean, Anyway, I just I thought, is that is that prophecy? Was that a, did did God speak to me in a dream, or did I dream God spoke to me? I don't know. That's a conundrum, isn't it? Think about that one all day, that's gonna blow your mind now. Did God speak to me in a dream? Or did I dream God me? To... Actually, that's quite bad, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know if it was or not, but I have a sense in which God spoke to me. And we have got a vision. This is exciting. You know, it's our first Sunday in the you, We had what, 18 weeks? We thought, we were, is going be 10 people? 50 people? We will go for it anyway, you know. We blocked it off halfway, you know, to try and give us a sense of we family together. But our vision isn't it, is to, to fill this place, and not because we're numbers obsessed in one sense, but in another sense we are. Because the more people that are in our churches, the less people are facing a lost eternity. So I don't get it when people say we're not into numbers. I, I, me personally, I really am. Because the more people in our churches, the more people know Jesus, have an opportunity to hear about Jesus, the less people are facing a lost eternity. So, I am all for a big vision. Uh, My vision would be, this won't be big enough. I'm thinking, wow, we're nearly 50% capacity already. Once we're 80%, let's move to somewhere else, because we need to create space for more people to hear the message of Jesus. Now we're going to talk, not this Wednesday, but Wednesday after, about vision, and how we're going to get there, and what's the road map, and what ideas have we got, what entrepreneurial energy is there, What what capacity have people got to do stuff because a vision is just a dream in your head unless we do stuff. It's alright to say we want to fill this place and I think that dream I do believe it was of God. I'm 80% certain it was of God. (laughs) We don't want to be arrogant. I think it was of God. But unless we take action it just stays as a dream in your head. Nehemiah. First thing he did when he heard that the walls had broken down, he was in Susa, he was getting on his knees and pray. He did the spiritual thing, and the second thing he did was he did some stuff, which is a deeply theological term for doing things. He did stuff. He took action, he had a strategy, he had a plan. Now, those of you that know me well will know that I'm the activist. You now, I, I like strategies and plans and making things happen. But, a bit we often miss is the spiritual warfare that goes alongside it, this sense of being before the Lord. So, as we move into the new year, I started to think about that. that this balance of taking practical action with spiritual action. What does that look like What does that mean? I'm not so good at the spiritual action. But I'm, I'm always the, the pragmatic, let's do stuff and get busy. But what did the Bible have to say about it? And I started to trawl through the scriptures over the last, talk through the Bible over the last few days, on and off, uh, and just from walking the dog, having a little think about it, and my mind cast back to a couple of different stories in the Old Testament, which I'm not going to major on, but just a couple of interesting little things. But you know, the Holy Spirit sort of prompts you sometimes. And I started thinking about the passage in Joshua. When they crossed the Jordan, they, they, they got a load of stones. Do you remember this? They got the priest to get stones in the middle of the Jordan because they miraculously crossed during the Exodus. And they piled them up at a place called Gilgal. And the reason they did that was to always remember that God had helped them cross. They didn't do it. God had helped them cross. Unfortunately, years later it became a place where idols were set up and that's when David went and disemboweled the kingdom. Do all right again. That's another story for another time. But they put a pile of stones. It's a fantastic quiet time story, could Judge Street, check it out, it's amazing. But Gilgal was a place where they thought we've got to put a pile of stones. Twelve stones. Because we want to remember that God did this. We didn't do it, God did it. There is another stone, the Ebenezer stone, in 1 Samuel. Ebenezer, which we've got as a kind of Ebenezer, I mean, no one here no one, no one here's called their kid Ebenezer, they? Because I mean, no one does that. Because it just means you're me. But actually, Ebenezer means, means the, the stone of help. Because if you remember, the Ark of the Covenant got stolen by a bunch of Philistines, and a few times they went into battle and got duffed up. And then God helped them, and they got the Ark back. So they put a massive stone up. Here is our Ebenezer, the stone of help. God helped us. And there's other verses in the Bible where they say the leaders of the people, they say, tell these stories. Don't forget that God did it. You didn't do it. God did it. And that started to put my mind onto other stuff. So then I was looking back before they crossed the Jordan, before they put the stones up. And I started looking in the Joshua passages. And I thought, this is quite interesting here. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim across the Jordan where they camp before crossing over. After three days, the went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the biblical priest came you you to move out from your positions to follow it, then you'll know you have a way to go. But keep a distance. Joshua told the people, verse 5, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And it, it kind of gripped me. Consecrate yourselves. When the one only got a pile of stones, just a pile of stones. They did it, Say, Remember that God did it. That was afterwards. Don't lose your faith. Remember this was God that did this. Before they went, consecrate yourselves. So then I got into the word consecrate. I thought, Consecrate. One wonder how many times that's in the Bible. Well, I can tell you. Did you know? The, the word, I know because I've checked up every single reference. The word Consecrate appears in the Bible 93 times. Consecrated appears 56 times. I think that's quite interesting. Then I looked up every single reference of the word Consecrate and Consecrated. I'm telling you this just so you know how thorough and biblical I've been. To find out exactly what happened when they mentioned the word Consecrate. Consecrate, And I looked at other, other as part of this, other kind of related bits when people set themselves aside. So to consecrate means to set yourself apart, to be holy, set yourself apart. So I looked at other instances like Daniel 10, do you remember this amazing thing in Daniel? When Daniel set himself to prayer, to hear from God and he went on a fast and he, he dressed in unfashionable sackcloth. And he fasted and he said, I'm not going to eat any choice food. No meat, I'm not going to have choice drinks. And he fasted and fasted and fasted over three weeks. And then he had the appearance of an angel. God spoke to him. I looked at that. I looked at Samson and the Nazarite vow. He numbered. Don't shave your hair. Don't touch dead animals. Don't do this. You know, don't, don't be happy. You know, grow your hair long. <laughs> All this. Stuff. Don't go to parties. <coughs> don't drink booze. Looked at that. 93 references of consecrate, 56 references of consecrated. And I came up with five things that seem to happen when people consecrate themselves and reasons why people did it. Number one, they did it, uh, they kind of they cleansed themselves. The first thing they did was they cleansed themselves. Often, when you look at the word consecrate or consecrated, people wash themselves in for a process of cleansing. The second thing they did, this is a nice post-Christmas thing, they watched their diet. They would either restrict their diet, or they would go on a fast when people consecrate themselves. The third thing they did was they were into a do of sacrifice. So even after the Nazarite vow period, they would do a sacrifice. That wasn't enough, they would also do a sacrifice, or they would give something up. The next thing they would do was take on an act of obedience. Radical obedience. And so you know, the Nazarite vow, when they said don't grow your hair, that was a symbol of being obedient, but obviously it would be for some other thing that they wanted to achieve. Remember that Paul took a Nazarite vow, we believe. So it wasn't just Old Testament stuff, this was New Testament, post-Cross as well, post-resurrection. In Acts 18, Paul took a Nazarite vow. We know that because he got to a place and he comes to the end of his vow and said, he shaved his hair off because of a vow that he had taken. So he didn't like having long hair. So his hair had grown, he comes to the end of his period of a vow, he shaved his hair off again. He didn't touch his hair during that time. So we know it's not just old Testament, new Testament like this. It's an obedience thing. And the fifth thing, people would consecrate themselves before they would take some kind of faith action. Before some thing would happen where they'd be massive amounts of faith. People would enter into a period of setting themselves aside for God and they would have practical things they would do and they would have spiritual things that they would do. They would commit themselves to prayer but they would also do stuff physically the sacrifice, the food restrictions, the fasting and then God would do stuff. Now, it's not a mechanism by which we get God to do stuff but it's something that people seem to do in the Bible. Let me explain what I mean by it's not a mechanism. I once knew a pastor called Johnny Barr. Johnny Barr was a Pentecostal minister, he was a good old Indian boy in the east end of London. And I went to see him a number of times to get him to mentor me. He was a phenomenal guy, an incredible prophetic gifting. He was the kind of guy that when you met, you'd repent of all your sins before you met him, all these things you know and those you don't know because if you didn't he would tell you what they were. He was that kind of guy. He was this character sense of holiness about him. And I once said to him, what is it that you do that, that you carry really this sense of holiness about you?" And he said, I locked myself in my study for up to three weeks. He obviously did leave his study in the evening to go to his wife. But he said, i lie here on the floor on a mattress in the dark with the curtains closed and no one would disturb me all day. He said, and I live on hot bean. He said, I fill me kettle up and I have hot wibina I don't eat for three weeks. And I said, what, why? <laughs> and he said, it's like a Daniel fight, i so I fasted. He said, and I do it to hear from the Lord. He said, but there's one time i fasted for three weeks. It was day 21. He said, I'm sick of hot wibina. I'm sick of hiding my study. I'm, I'm fed up and I'm saying, God, this whole time I've been here on a mattress
1: and I've not heard
0: you speak to me once. Speak to me. God, you know, speak to me. Oh, I've been stuffing up and fed up. He said, suddenly the prince of God entered the study. It was palpable. felt the fear of God I swept into the study at that moment. He said, God spoke to me. I said, what did the Holy Spirit say? He said, I don't want a hunger strike, John. Then the presence of God left. After three weeks. I has been a bit cutting, isn't it? <laughs> I don't want a hunger strike. It's not a mechanism. We don't go on a fast and make God speak. We don't consecrate ourselves because we want God to do something we do because he's holy. And we remember remembering our holy God. That's why we do it. It's something we're not very good at. We are good at having an outward appearance of holiness. We act proper. We do the right things. We say the right things. We can be oh so polite sometimes. But true holiness is a—that's the condition of the heart, isn't it? That's that's. Setting yourself aside in a secret place and saying, oh, I'm all in there. Every bit of me. Now, I don't think there's a prescriptive thing that you have to do. I don't think we the have to go on a out. Though those of us who are growing beards are obviously doing it for holy reasons only. <laughs> but I tell you what, in my limited experience of trying to set my life aside for God, I've noticed some stuff. Uh, firstly, a lesson from someone else, um, my new boss, when I start my new job, I've had a boss for about 18 years, it's been an incredible experience, but my new boss, I once said to him, have you ever seen a revival? You know, like a true revival. But hundreds of people are getting saved, and it's genuine. And he said, once. I said, well, what happened? He went to little church in Florida. I think it's Florida. Right. Little church. He said, But people are saved, left on his People became Christians, left on their people in the power of God, left on said all the time. So I was there with the leaders and I said, What did you do? I mean, what, how is this happening? And they said, Well, we prayed a lot. I said, We well, are all praying. Now, what did you do? And they said, Well, none of the leadership have got TVs. as some of the core team now run. and I get And I said, What do you mean? He said, Well they, they said it was a specific thing that we felt God say to us. For this time. He said, before all this happened, we we're in a prayer and someone felt that I hope you now I'm 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 trying to remember the story, so I'm trying not to exaggerate it. He said we felt someone felt we need to get rid of our TVs. So obviously people were a bit gutty in particular. Like, like TV in America, don't you? Like TV, so uh, you know, all got rid of their TVs, and, they, and nothing happened. He said they couldn't watch their favourite programmes anymore. But they would keep praying and meetings of leadership and praying and meetings of leadership. And one Sunday, normal service, they uh, preaching, and uh, miracles started happening, and some people came across And The following Sunday, some more miracles happened, and some more people came across them. Then people started wanting to meet week during a week and they started having weekly meetings and people were getting healed and people were bringing their friends and people were coming to Christ and they weren't preaching any differently but stuff was happening. And my new boss he looked at them and said Just because you got rid of your TVs. I mean what? And the guy looked at me and said, no but we realised He said we, we, we consecrated ourselves. Because you think what comes out of your T V. is wait it's incest, it's murder, it's slander it's gossip it's violence stuff he said so for us for us we follow and we needed to consecrate ourselves so my new boss he went back home got his tv playing loft. he would wouldn't he you saw people come to christ like that people getting healed that's what happened he said after a few weeks he said i walk into a meeting and the Holy Spirit would tell me stuff. And I'd know things. And I'd tell people that Jesus and people get saved like, like never before. I said, How long did it go on for? And he went, So i got my TV back out the lot. and stuff. will <laughs> TV in. Well, you know, it was a season. That's the way we explain things in the Christian wasn't it? it? was a season. You know, maybe we get back to Coronation Street. But I thought that was interesting. He's purifying himself consecration a few years back I can't remember if I told you this but it must be about 10 years ago I was in the gym doing the gym stuff and, uh, you know I'd, you'll think I'm so I had a dream and I used to be to space I don't get this all the time you know. but I was in the gym bench, I remember I was bench pressing I was a lot of weight I was struggling away, and I suddenly felt God speak to me in the middle of the bench pressing, It's not a thing, So I nearly fell on my neck. You know, <laughs> so I re it, and uh, I felt like I said, I need you to fast. And I had an apple. I had, apple. I had one apple, so I quickly ate it. I said, how long do you want me to fast for, Lord? There's I, I nothing. Did, didn't do anything. I thought, well, I it's going to be a long time. It's not good. 21 days. Fasted for 21 days. I said I'll fast until I hear you speak to me. 21 days. I had a bit of fruit and I had a cup of tea. That was it. And it was water. And the excuse of the fruit was sometimes I need to drive, I need the sugar. You know, it's a bit of fruit, water, cup of tea. On day 21, it was the 40th anniversary service for a church where I was senior pastor in Bilwicki. And uh, I'd lost a bit of weight, and I wouldn't say I once was looking gaunt, but I'd lost a bit of weight. And um, I was having regular half-hour fantasies about chewing KFC, uh, <laughs> and stuff like that. Um oh, I said, really weird, actually, I don't want to swallow, I, I, I want, really wanted to chew. <coughs> it's funny, that, isn't it? You know, that a personal reflection. <laughs> and I got to the church, and one of the most tragic things happened to me in all the ministry I've been exercising so far. Now I've been in ministry now since I was, I'm nearly 43. Then I've been ministering really since I was about 24, 25. Almost non-stop. And this is the most tragic thing that ever happened to me. My best friend didn't turn up to the 40th anniversary service because he had just committed adultery with the daughter of one of my deacons who, he had performed the wedding service for six months earlier. He had said, Let no man separate. Then he jumps into bedroom. I'm at the end of a 21 day fast. I cannot tell you just how much the power of God moved over the church during that time. It should have destroyed the church. It nearly did, us. But do you know what? People came to Christ, people got healed stuff is happening and God just felt really close. Now I may have told you this before, but God felt really close because I consecrated myself. That's a discipline. Not eating for 21 days. I don't think there's anything spiritual about 21 days, but there is a battle happening for people's souls. We were the biggest church in town by far. We were planting out churches all over the place. We were replanting churches. We were rescuing churches. I had pastors gathering around my house once a month from a 40-mile radius for lunch because they wanted to know what was happening. We'd share together and pray together because the Spirit of God was moving. That's what was happening in the church. It was an amazing time. And the enemy, because I do believe we've got an enemy, went to smash it wanting to kick out the foundations of what we were building and he went for my mate He took him out but God had alerted us in the middle of a bench pressing session we consecrated ourselves and do you know what in the background Simon and Teresa you know were part of this church at that time a few years previously my my senior pastor before I took over he had this thing that the church has been called to pray. Did you know that for years before that moment, every single Wednesday from six in the morning until eight in the morning, all the pastors would sit in a room and we would pray non-stop, and the doors were open, and anyone could come in and pray between six and eight every single Wednesday morning. There'd be people on their way to work and they'd drop in for five minutes. Some people would come in, they'd literally sit there, bow their heads, say a prayer and they would leave. Some people would sit there for half an hour, some people would sit there for an hour. For my whole time at that church, which is a long time, nearly every single Wednesday, unless I was on holiday, I sat there from 6 till 8 and we prayed non-stop. We would fast, I would take prayer days out uh, on a regular basis and we would just had this sense of bringing ourselves before the Lord. And God did stuff. That church doubled in size. People came to Christ, left, right and centre. In my last year there, we saw over 80 people say the baptized first-time commitments. And for me, it's about putting down this Ebenezer stone. God was our help. We didn't do anything amazing. We didn't have wonderful guest services. Some of them are terrible. The PA system didn't always work. Our overhead projector always used to project the wrong thing somehow. It's just the way it was. We consecrated ourselves. Just remind you those four points while I close this out. Cleansing, diet, sacrifice, obedience, before some kind of step of faith. Now, we know from the New Testament, Colossians 1.22, various other passages, that Jesus has claimed the church through the cross. We know that. But we in turn, Romans 12, and various other passages are told to be a holy people. We're told to be a holy temple, 1 Corinthians 3.17. We're told to be holy in Romans 12.1. There are examples where people took vows Acts 18. It's not a hunger strike fasting. Consecration isn't a mechanism by which we make things happen. But I felt, although this isn't going to be your amazing GU up, this is the start of 2015, let's set the fireworks off, sermon. I do feel that the Holy Spirit wanted me to put this out there today. I feel This was from the Lord, not my head. I feel that the Holy Spirit is saying to the church, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow I do great work among you. I feel that. We are going to need to take action, but we also need to consecrate ourselves. Now, I don't think that we often get holiness right. I don't think it means looking miserable, throwing ashes on your face and looking pale, dressing badly, you know, looking like you are shipwrecked in life and without any hope. I, I don't think that's what consecration and holiness means. When Nehemiah commissioned the wall and Ezra read the law, he said, I mean, you he almost hear the impatience, he stop crying, stop mourning. He said, hey, have choice, drink, eat good food, because the Lord has done amazing things. You know, the Lord has done this. There is a sense of joy that can come us. I'm not saying you all need to give up alcohol. You all need to give out Xbox. Stop watching EastEnders. Actually, that one is. That's a, that's a, that's a command of the Lord. Uh, I'm not saying this. What I'm saying is you need to find your own way with people in the spirit. It may be that Dan and I, after a period of reflection on this, might say, we need to call the church to pray, but your own personal walk before the Lord is your thing. We are not spiritual policemen. We're not going to cultishly tell you what you need to do, but I will say this as a broad command to the church, please take this on board and think what you need to do in order to consecrate yourselves and take some form of sacrifice before the Lord. It could be you get more exercise, it could mean you go on a fast, it, it, it could mean you take some active discipline, it could mean that you intend to read your Bibles more, it could mean that you 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 set some time aside where you kneel before God on a weekly or daily basis. I don't know, I'm, I'm not going to go any further than because I don't know, you will know what you need to do. But I do believe that the Lord is calling us to it. And then, as we take action like Nehemiah did that two things will blend. This sense of consecration of holiness before the Lord and then taking action will mean that like Nehemiah looked at the walls of Jerusalem after 52 days of had been rebuilt, there's a miracle of prayer and action. I think within a short period of time you could be looking at this hall and thinking, look at my mates, my family members, the people work who are working with come to Christ. And we walk in you get that lump in your throat. Because we see the Lord is doing amazing things. That's what we want, isn't it? I, I woke up from a dream, just to say, and then I fell asleep again, and then the dream continued, but this time there was a, there was a black African choir, and they all in robes, and they were all singing, and I think, no, that, that was me. Because uh, I, I really like that kind of stuff. And it was in really pumping. That's when I know the difference between the Lord and me. The first part was definitely the Holy Spirit. The second part was my imagination. But it was amazing. It was amazing. Oh, we hope for that, right? And I I don't feel dreary about this. There should be a joy in this. We don't want to look austere and miserable about the Lord consecrating us. The joy of the Lord is our strength in this. Now we're gonna take communion in a bit, so I actually think I'm gonna move straight into that, if that's all right guys, and then we can have some worship overflowing from that. So I'd just like us to sit for a moment, and then I'll lead us into communion. I just wanna sit and think, well, what we're saying here, if this is, is, if this is birth of the Holy Spirit then you will know God will speak to you about what you need to do it may be you've gone far from God right it may be you've been walking far from Jesus but no one knows that do you know that what consecration for you might be is calling you back no one might know he knows what consecration for you might be is calling you back home. It might be you had the appearance of holiness. Now God's saying that I want your heart. Don't just want the outward, I want the inward stuff. Us evangelicals we suffer from that. Good at the outward, not inward. For how you going to be in That verse echoes where my spirit really consecrated souls for tomorrow and do amazing things amongst them In the days of Joshua so it would be here Show us each individually what He wants to do, Father.